0: Hello, and welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. For more great interviews and resources on the craft and business of writing, be sure to check out our companion website, ScriptsAndScribes.com. Today, we have back on the show a lit manager and producer who got his start in the mail room at Spyglass. He has since worked in television packaging at CIA as an exec at Warner Brothers Shed Media, where he launched their U.S. scripted television division. And in 2011, he teamed up with Lowell Shapiro and formed Black Box Management. Welcome back, Mike Dill. Thanks for coming on again, Mike. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Good to be back. Yeah, it's been a little while, but uh, I'm excited to have you. And if you listeners haven't heard our previous interview with Mike Dill, uh, be sure to check it out. You can find it on our website, scriptsandscribes.com slash Mike-Dill, D-I-L-L. Um, And since it's been a little while, I just want to throw out a little of your background is that you're a local like me, which is very rare, an L.A. native, and you went to film school at NYU, Correct. Correct. How has being a film school grad sort of affected the way you look at client representation? Because it's not a usual transition from film school to being a a lit rep.
1: Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think that it's most impacted the way we represent our clients on a day-to-day basis um, by way of informing how I worked really closely with directors who were insulated from a lot of the factors we work with in the business. Mm -hmm. So in film school at NYU, it's very much conservatory. Um, The focus is on uh, creating art with integrity, Um, and that's a unique ride that you're on with filmmakers uh, when that's the main objective. I wouldn't say that it directly correlates to the job I do now all the time, but it's important experience to have, I would say.
0: Mm-hmm. And we were talking before we came on the air about both of our times at CAA, because we both spent some time at CAA. Um, I thought yours was interesting because it's, it's one of the rare occasions, but it does happen and it's an incredibly challenging environment where you were uh, an assistant working for two agents. Can you talk a little bit about that experience and uh, how it sort of got you uh intensive uh training course for representation in the agenting world.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean when I when I was first offered a job at CAA, it was to work for two first year agents who had recently been promoted. Um they were both they both are great agents, great guys, really smart, um Sean Grumman and Tom Young. Um but they were in different departments. Mm-hmm. So for me Oh wow uh working yeah one was a literary agent, T V lit And one was a talent agent, and those were very, very separate departments and still are at CAA. Mm -hmm. So it was, for me, it was like I had two completely separate, almost unrelated jobs. Um, And right after I started, we went right into pilot season, which was insane for the TV talent agent. (laughs) Um, And then directly after that, it was staffing season. So it was definitely trial by fire. Um, it was like a high volume of submissions, appointments, all that kind of admin stuff you deal with as a first year assistant. Um, only mine was kind of double. And I think like anybody working for an agent who's at the very start, um, of being an agent has a unique experience. And I definitely had that, but it was mm-hmm. great. You know, ultimately I learned a lot about how it worked for younger agents at the company. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was exposed to a lot in my first year. So all in, I think it was a win.
0: And how, having worked at CIA and in production and now in uh, management, how did all of that sort of prepare you for uh, representation? How did it make you a better manager?
1: I think, like, for us, we deal with um, our agent partners who we share our clients with um, all day, every day. Mm -hmm. So understanding how it works internally at agencies is obviously super helpful for us, and we want to be good partners For the agents we share our clients with um and we want them to be good partners to us so i think just being informed on the systems the way things work i think caa in my experience operates differently from the other agencies so Mm -hmm. starting to know those differences is something that happens once you leave caa um but all in i think it's important for someone with my job um, managing clients on a day-to-day basis and producing to really understand um, how it works at uh, each of the different entities that we um, are interfacing with on a daily basis. So when I was an exec at a production company, obviously I'm wearing a very different hat from what I did at CAA. Um, but essential experience and being represented by an agency as an executive production company was also, you know, very informative for the job I do now. But mm-hmm. I think, look, it's all totally connected. Um, I think that, you know, What we look for is uh, the way to be most proactive um, in each of our relationships, representing our talent, and then also um, being a good partner for, you know, a finance company that we're producing with or an agent who we share a client with. I think we're always aiming to be um, the most proactive, the best, you know, out a few steps ahead of things, partners we can be. Um, And I think, like, look, for me, everybody's experience is different, but that was definitely part of the culture at CAA. And um, I think we've applied that a lot to our business here at Blackbox.
0: Right. And what made you end up in representation as a lit manager slash producer?
1: I think our approach here at Blackbox, mm-hmm. um, we wanted to do our best and take our shot at slightly updating the model of management. So I think that we operate as managers a little bit different from most of the companies in our space, but we intend to represent our talent holistically um so when i worked at caa and and then when i worked at warner shed um the areas of those businesses were really strictly separated out so at caa the tv group was really a far separation from the motion picture group if you were a lit agent um your job was very very different from a talent agent even Mm -hmm. if you were both in the tv department Um, for me as a manager and management is super different from agenting, obviously, but um, my ultimate goal is to represent my clients um, in all of their endeavors um, and make sure that I can help them with whatever it is they're doing. So most of our clients here, not all of them, but most of them are some formula multi hyphenate, whether they're directors who do narrative film and they also do documentary and they also do commercial work or they're, actors who write and perform or whatever it is that they're into and whatever the areas are that they span. We feel like, you know, those traditional boundaries between um, different mediums and types of content are becoming less and less relevant every day. Mm-hmm. And we feel that black box is an answer to the way that all of that's headed.
0: No. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. A lot of these lines are being blurred. I mean, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, it, they were, The lines were much more defined, like film people would not, would have to, they feel like they're taking a step back working in television. And now that's absolutely not the case. And, you know, with new media and the internet and all these streaming services and everything. So yeah, no, that's a, that's a great uh, business model. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about for, for those emerging writers out there, those newer emerging writers, what is the difference between an agent and a manager? And why does a writer need both? Do they need both?
1: That is <laughs> such a common and nuanced question. Sure. Nuanced answer to that question, but I mean, it's, um, it's totally valid. We get asked that all the time. I think depending on who we're talking to, uh, we give a different piece of the answer, but overall the answer is the same. Um, the way that the business works right now, managers are a little bit more embedded in the creative process with mm-hmm. their clients writers, directors, performers, whatever, um, agents are a little less embedded in that. Um, managers can produce agents don't produce, um, there's affiliate production, um, which is part of the battle. The WGA is fighting with the ATA right now, but that's a whole separate issue. Mm -hmm. But in general, um, for me as a manager, many times I'm tasked with building the initial part of a client's career sometimes agents are involved in that. Sometimes they aren't, but for most of my clients, um, I would say probably close to 90%, I've gotten them their first job and I've transitioned them from a place where, you know, they weren't paying their bills from whatever their medium is they create in from writing say, um, Mm -hmm. and then they go to the point where they are paying their bills from doing that. Um, Agents these days, just because of the way that most of the agencies operate, are a bit more transactional. Um, by necessity, they have to represent a larger number of clients, so it's a little bit less personal, a little bit less hands-on. Um, but that being said, what you want as a group um, is a good team that works well together. Um, I would say before the whole WGA-ATA conflict um, probably – almost a hundred percent of our clients had agents in addition to their representation by us as their managers. There are a few exceptions. You know, we definitely had people who just don't like working with agencies or didn't need one for whatever reason, But for the most part, you know, we share our clients with agents who are good at doing what they do and we thrive off of those partnerships. Um, but I think that it's important for creatives and for talent um, to know what they're looking for in each relationship that they have. You know, for me, I represent my clients. I don't work for any agency. So um, at the end of the day, uh, my loyalty is to the client. Mm-hmm. But that being said, you know, there's uh, there's a lot to be said for a good relationship um, with an agent from the onset of a career. And sometimes agents do break talent in the early years of their career too. Just, it totally depends. Um, But I think the main differences come down to um, how close the relationship is and also uh, how much um, creative development is involved in the relationship. That's a big part
0: of it, too. Right. Um, And since you had mentioned uh, the WGA-ATA standoff, how has it affected your business and uh, that of your writer clients?
1: It's affected us a lot. You know, I think, like, there are so many sides – to look at with what's going on but in general you know i think the battle that's being fought is an important one and it was only a matter of time before um the packaging structure was going to be questioned Mm -hmm. um affiliate production some people think that that kind of pushed it over the edge um and made this happen sooner but in general you know any of our uh of our clients who are members of the writers guild which is a lot of them had to fire their agencies. So what that means on the TV side is that, um, during staffing season this year, for example, was a bit of a free for all was a lot messier uh-huh. than it normally is. Um, there was a lot of direct submissions to showrunners. Um, it was tougher for things to happen in an organized fashion. Um, and it's uh, tracking for staffing season was just a bit all over the place. Um, On the feature side, I would say everything in general is a little bit um, more up in the air in terms of how this situation is going to benefit members of the Writers Guild. But one of the big things, one of the big unfortunate byproducts was that um, writer clients who had feature projects being actively packaged at their agency, that kind of stopped and stalled out for Mm -hmm. the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, So in general, I think like, you know, we absolutely support the Writers Guild in what they're doing 100%, you know, and and the Writers Guild is doing their job to represent um, and protect and serve our clients. So we're in full support of them. Um, But like with anything, with any of these battles, I started my career um, right around the time of the first writer's strike um, that happened since I've been in the industry in 2007. And look, there was a lot of fallout from that. And I Mm -hmm. think ultimately there were some gains made, but when we step back from it, I think that our industry is changing a lot quicker than it used to. Um, and I think there's a lot more change ahead. So I think that this kind of thing is something that, you know, first off we as a company are, you know, absolutely ready for and lean into. Um, you can look at it like disruption. There's going to be more change ahead and, and we're here for it, but, um, In general, I think that hopefully this will be a net positive for everyone, um, but I think that's yet to be determined.
0: Right. And uh, if you had to guess, uh, how would you see the dispute being resolved? Like, what do you think is going to happen? How long do you think it's going to take if you just had to take a guess?
1: I mean, everyone right now is pretty negative about it in terms of the outlook. A lot of people seem to think that this is going to go on for a while longer. Um, I think I would guess that there's a chance that we might see more of what happened with verve a few weeks ago, Mm -hmm. verve signing the code of conduct. Um, I think that, you know, for a lot of agencies, packaging isn't as essential to their business. So more of that, I, I think is, you know, there's a high possibility of that happening. Um, in general, uh, I think that I'm pretty cynical about how soon this ends, so, you know, at least a few more months until this is resolved. I think that it feels like we're still locked into a bit of a standoff, Um, but, you know, obviously all of us are hoping for the best.
0: Right. (laughs) I've I've heard estimates of even uh, sort of the beginning of next year, in other words, like waiting through a whole uh, television development season you know, and seeing how that plays out before, you know, and, and before also the money starts to run out because all the packaging and all the, the deals that have gone through last year are still sort of, you know, coming through, but pretty soon that's going to start to change and dry up and things. Um, obviously, the longstanding deals are still there, but, you know, they're not going to be getting newer deals, and, you know, from staffing and, and from packaging and, you know, from these development deals coming up. So anyway, that's what other people have, have thrown out there as a potential for how long it's going to Yeah, last. I
1: would say I, I would say that's not unlikely at all.
0: Yeah. As a writer, how do you know it's time to change reps? Like what signals should a writer look for when considering like if their rep is still fully invested in their sort of working relationship?
1: I think that like each relationship um is its own thing, it's very personal. Um what we aim for in our relationships is uh Clear communication, transparency, um, shared understanding of somebody's creative core, and then shared uh, outlook um, with regards to goals. But in general, you know you, I think people should feel like uh, their relationship with somebody who they're working closely with is genuine. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like any other relationship in life, I think you know you probably have a gut feeling as to whether something's working. And it's productive for both parties or it isn't. Um, I don't think there's any one specific metric. Um, but, uh, you know, going with your gut and weighing results uh, and communication and all of those factors, I think, is probably an important part of that, too.
0: Mm-hmm. For television, it's obviously fairly important for a writer to be based in Los Angeles uh, I, I know there's some work in, in New York, but for the most part, Los Angeles, if you're interested in being a television writer. But for screenwriters, it can be a little amorphous in terms of where they live uh, and work. Obviously, it's incredibly helpful to be in Los Angeles. And some people say it is imperative if a screenwriter is based in another city or state, you know, interested in writing features. Now, a lot of people write both and it's obviously ideal if they write in more than one medium, or uh, able to at least. But if they're not based in Los Angeles, but they're based in another city or state or even another country, how does that affect how you look at them as a potential client?
1: I think it's tougher in the first few years of someone's career. Mm-hmm. Our industry is very, very analog and old school. I mean, I'm still on the phone for the majority of the day. Right. I think there are very few businesses where it's as phone-based as our industry um as the film and TV industry but in general you know just following the way that jobs come together and relationships develop um for the most part you need to be here in person pitching in rooms um sometimes we get notice about meetings happening um a couple days in advance um sometimes a client a writer client will meet on a job five times before they're the selected choice So because of that, you know, if you're competing for a job on the feature side, definitely on the TV side, but, you know, if we're talking about features, if you're competing for a feature job and let's say it's an open writing assignment at uh, a studio or it's an adaptation job or something, um, it's likely that you're going to be competing with other writers who are at or around your same level. And those people are going to be meeting in person um, to pitch and win the job in the room. So if you're not here to do that, it's very difficult to make the strides you need to make in the in the first few years. I would say that once you have a reputation, um you have some incoming business, it's a lot easier to not be here. But that being said, um winning jobs is still primarily done in person. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. I mean, it's, you know, it's unlike other industries and it is very very just old school seeming, but that's the way it works 100%.
0: Right. Now, if a, if a writer isn't currently based in Los Angeles, but you love their writing. How much time would you expect them to be here? Cause some managers are like, okay, I can, if their writing is brilliant and if they're amazing, I can sort of work with that for the short term. But like how often and for how long on average would you expect a client or prefer a client to be in Los Angeles if, if they couldn't move right away?
1: What we do with clients, like we have a few clients who are in New York, we have a few clients who are elsewhere. Um, what we'll do is once they have a great new piece of material that's ready to go out to the world, um, we'll get some lead time, um, get the script out there, uh, and then schedule them to come out and be in LA for usually at least a couple months. Um, Hmm. what you want to do is have enough time for them to make the rounds, probably want them to meet on some jobs while they're in town to make their trip worthwhile. But, uh, just because of the nature of scheduling, how much advanced time we need, you want to be here for a significant amount of time, but it's tricky. I mean, you'll, you'll find that a lot of reps are wary about it because I don't want a client to come out here, spend two months here and not leave town without a brand new job or without having something secured as a result of the time they've spent here. Right. But it's a lot easier to connect on something if you're just here full time.
0: Sure. So if a writer is considering a move to Los Angeles in the near future, when as their rep, would you say that you think they're ready from sort of a writing and career perspective, like taking out the whole financial aspect of it, but when do you think from a writing and career perspective, they, a writer should consider a move to Los Angeles? I
1: think it's really, again, I think this is one of those things that's super, super personal, but If you don't already have a career or if you don't already have, um, a locked in job as a writer, but you want to move to LA, um, I would never encourage someone to do that unless they're doing it entirely on their own volition. Mm -hmm. Um, there are just so many contingencies and so many maybes to breaking as a writer that I think it's like for, you know, a lot of our clients, uh, when we first started working with them, they worked as... You know they worked in retail or they had a catering job or they worked you know at, as a barista or whatever it is um and that's just because that's the nature of things you know i think for me i would always be hesitant encouraging someone to move out here if somebody's you know dead set on doing it um we have a client who uh moved to la um i think for the most part as a result of having us as representatives from another country Um, I would have never encouraged this client to do that. Um, this client did that without telling us exactly, uh, what the decision-making process
0: was.
1: (laughs) It ended up working out really well. Um, but I think that it was just a chance they were willing to take, um, and not something I would encourage, but look, you know, it's, it's difficult to succeed with plan a, if you do have a plan B, that's one way to look at it. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say that like, for me, What it comes down to is two big components, and this is maybe going beyond the question you asked, but for our clients, we need to represent people who are doing something special and something unique as a creative. That's obviously one side of it. Something that we want to represent people who are telling stories that we feel and agree need to be told and should be told. That's one part of it. The other part of it is like, look, you know, to start your career and to get jobs, you're going to be auditioning and winning people over on who you are and the viability of working with you on. And sometimes, you know, a big part of it is just like on a personality basis. Um, but you're, you're convincing people to have the confidence in you to get something done and to deal with tricky components and layers of creative bureaucracy and all that stuff. So I think if we see both sides of those, um, and it's, there's a clear path to getting somebody on, the road that they want to be on and and getting them on a successful road. um, Then I think like we're a lot more confident in people taking that leap and moving here. But I think in the first years before there's an existing career, it's a personal decision. You know, you just have to decide if you're going to take that chance on your own.
0: Right. Right. If you take a meeting with a writer, you've obviously already read the material and, and liked it. But when you take a meeting with a writer for the first time, what kind of things are you looking for in that meeting? For us,
1: like, The way that we see it is we're kind of like everything's safe and okay over here because we just genuinely want to get a sense of who someone is. Um, We want to like them if we're meeting with them, and we just want to see what they're like. Um, So I don't think there's any wrong way to take an initial meeting with us. Um, Obviously, if I'm going to send somebody out for 100 meetings all over town and push them for jobs and ask my friends – to meet with them and consider them, you know, how I feel about how they present in a meeting and who they are and how they communicate. Those are all extremely important things, mm-hmm. but there are so many ways to be, um, to give a good meeting and to give an effective meeting. Um, so I don't think there's any one way that people should focus on, but a big part of it for us is just people who can be themselves, um, and who, uh, who can communicate extremely clearly about who they are creatively and why they want to do the work that they want to do. I think more than ever um, there's a focus uh, in our business on buyers wanting to hire people for jobs who are the only person who could tell a certain story. Right. So it's very, it's very much about authenticity um, and expressing why your background um, is relevant to whatever project you're discussing So for us, the more we can know about someone, the better, you know, and the more they can be themselves and, you know, discuss what their real sensibility is. That's the most helpful thing for us.
0: Right. And in that same meeting, are there any sorts of red flags that could turn you off to them sort of as a potential client or like what sort of things would make you question whether or not they're right for for you and for Black Box?
1: Um, I mean, no red flags other than, um, I don't think there are any specific red flags, but in general, you know, a certain level of professionalism, I think is important. Um, when you're first getting to know someone, I think, uh, presenting yourself in a way that's totally appropriate and above board is key, but that's kind of very, very basic. But other than that, you know, um, don't be rude. Don't, pre, don't be unprofessional. Don't be late. Um, don't come to a meeting without uh, substantial things to say about yourself. But those are extremely basic parameters. But in general, there's no specific red flag. I, I wouldn't say so.
0: And how much material do you like to see writers coming in to in order to consider them as a client?
1: For us, one script is enough. Oh, okay. You know, I think i for For the most part, like you know, happy to read more than one thing, but um usually what we find is that before we meet with someone, if somebody's reaching out or somebody's referred to us or however it comes to us or an agent's calling us about someone um usually there everyone agrees, including uh, most importantly um the writer, that there's one piece that most represents who they are um in an all encompassing way as a writer. So I think for us, we always want to focus on what the writer wants us to focus on.
0: Gotcha. You talked about, you know, when they come to you, in other words, or when you reach out to them, whether they come to you through referral or if, you, however you discover them. I wanted to segue in terms of like, there are lots of script services out there from the blacklist, both the submission service, as well as the actual blacklist a number of script analysts, consultants, readers, pitch fests, contests, fellowships from Nickel to Austin. Um, which ones do you think are worthwhile for writers? Which ones do you take seriously in the industry?
1: I think that there are valuable components of all of the script services. Um, for us, uh, we get a lot of um, unsolicited material that comes in on a daily basis. Um, there's too much for us to uh, devote time to looking at everything. Um, but we do have staff here who helps us with that. Um, that's a key part of our process. Um, I think that, uh, there's value in all of the script services. What we're finding these days is a lot of times it's some formula of multiple script services presented as a whole, um, that can get our attention, but uh, there's no one that we're dedicated to, or we think is better than the others.
0: Mm-hmm. In your opinion, what qualities or skills set is essential to being a successful writer? You had mentioned obviously professionalism, uh, being hopefully not socially awkward, too socially awkward in meetings if at all possible, being able to, to give information, you know, be a storyteller because that's essentially what you are uh, and being yeah. able to relay that information in meetings. What other qualities do you think are essential to being a successful writer? And you know, because it is a business, it's not just putting words on a page.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, first, let me note that I think you can be socially awkward if you can pull it off. (laughs) But I think if you're not pulling it off, then it's just awkward and not fun for anyone. But to be a successful writer, I think that first, it's important to identify how you want to work within the business. Um, Writing a project uh, at a studio or a finance company or a streaming platform or a network, um, with producers, um, with, uh, people from the studio or the platform or the network involved with potentially talent involved with a director involved, anything on that side where you're being paid to write something for an entity is a completely different undertaking than writing a spec script. I mean, there are close to no, Similar parallels when you're doing one versus doing the other. So, you know, is writing for, you know, a team of people giving creative input that you're uh, contractually required to take, is that something that you want to do? You know, and is that, do you feel like um, you have the skill set to interface with people? You know, for what we're seeing, a, you know, a ton more of over the past whatever, since we started the company in 2011. You know, so many of these projects that our clients are getting hired to write are already packaged with either a director or a lead actor or both. So, you know, when you're writing a project, you might be getting notes from an actor who's never written anything um, on your first draft or before you start your first draft. Is that something that, you know, you want to be a part of? Is that a creative process that you think you could uh, do well with and succeed with? And if it is great, you know, there's a ton of work out there and there's enough for everyone. Um I think that, you know, are there stories that you feel you need to tell? Um and you have the creative aptitude and the skill set to tell? Um for a lot of for writers on the earlier side of their career like are you reading scripts a lot? It seems so rudimentary and obvious, but You know, there's a clear difference in reading work from writers who are reading other scripts constantly versus writers who aren't doing that as much. Right. Um, So I think there's a lot that goes into it. But, you know, saying something, telling a unique story in a unique way is still kind of like um, the golden duo in our minds.
0: Right. And you had mentioned hyphenates in your business model, especially with the changing landscape of film and television and the internet new media as a potential client who may be a writer director or a writer actor or a, you know uh, whatever they happen to be a hyphenate of is that one more appealing to you to have a hyphenate and two is it more difficult for example if one was a good actor performer but not necessarily as good of a writer or a good director but not necessarily a great writer or something like that so i guess it's a twofold question one does that hyphen make them more attractive to you uh, because of your company's sort of philosophy and, or is it more difficult some for some, for many people, obviously being good at multiple things to the point where they're competing for jobs at a professional level?
1: That's a good question. Um, I think that in general, we represent a lot of people who are not multi-hyphenates. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also represent a lot of people who are, um, What it comes down to is whether we're attracted to uh, the picture as a whole and who this person is as a creative as a whole. Um, We are of the mindset that um, Rising Tide is going to float all ships and uh, if you're an extremely talented writer and you Mm -hmm. really want to get your break as a director what you're doing as a writer and what we're able to do for you in your career as a writer is going to help us to put you into your first great opportunity as a director and vice versa. Um, We have clients here who are extremely successful directors who really are doing this to write, you know, and we're figuring that out for them. We as a company are pretty fearless about transitioning our creatives into areas that they haven't yet succeeded in. Mm -hmm. Um, We've been like that since the first days, but I think more and more there's an opening in the community for people who do write, direct, perform, and do it all for themselves. And we're seeing that, um, you know, that's not a completely untested route. But I think that for anyone who is doing more than one thing out there and is really devoted to that, um, it's important for you to make sure that your representative is on board for all of that. Right. For us, we would, you know, if somebody was an extremely talented uh, writer who also wanted to direct, but maybe they just weren't there at all as a director, um, as long as they could understand, look, this is, uh, you know, this is, we're at the beginning of this process and there's still growth to make, um, we could get on board for that. But you don't want to sign with somebody who doesn't believe in who you are as a whole. And so I think we, and on the flip side, we wouldn't want to sign someone who we don't believe in
0: right. as a whole. Right. Right. Now, having been in the business as long as you have, and again, worked in many different facets and areas of the business, sort of looking into the future and looking in the past, like, how have you seen the business change in the past 10, 15 years? And where do you see it going? Because there are so many different streaming services now and the internet and it's sort of becoming one, like, you know, before you had film and TV, now you have film and TV and then TV sort of, and even film sort of bleeding into the internet. And it's, it's, it's. Streaming now is is a is a thing that wasn't there fifteen years ago um so where where do you see the business going? We think about this a lot. Um, I think that the business
1: now has changed and is continuing to change and move in a direction where independence is rewarded. Mm-hmm. So if we were approached uh, to put a client into an overall or first look deal with a studio entity. Um, Around the time that we had first started the company and in those early years, I think that would be vastly more attractive at that point, given the landscape than it is these days. Um, I think for us, one of the things we deal with with our clients all the time is um, trying to free them up and trying to minimize their positions on the various projects that they're uh, under contract on. Um, And that's a battle we fight constantly. Um, but what we want is is more freedom for our clients to uh, have a lot going on because there's just more out there and there are more ways to get things done. I think for me, um, it's absolutely requisite that I understand all the different models and all the different ways these things happen um, and movies come together and TV shows come together. Obviously, we've been in a uh, a very package-heavy landscape for a long time now, but, you know, putting together a film based on, um, a foreign presale model versus walking clean directly into Netflix versus, uh, packaging something that's going to be viable to sell to a studio. These are all, um, totally different routes for things. And so I think for anyone with my job, it's important that you have experience, uh, doing it each of the different ways. Um, and you can offer that to your clients, but yeah, I think, look, independence is key um and i think there are generational differences between representatives um and for people like you and me like you know we uh we grew up with the internet Mm -hmm. um and i don't think that um i don't think that we feel like the digital space is anything that different from traditional film and tv we're just we're consuming things in a slightly different way but none of this is really new to us um the old the cliche um content is king uh i think it really stands true um and i think people are less focused these days um on the traditional rules of how things work um and i think that benefits creators a lot
0: right Right. i I think if
1: there's a story to be told whatever the medium whatever the platform you can get people interested and you can get money behind it which is great for our clients and great for us
0: yeah absolutely and you know with things like youtube and and things like that it definitely sort of democratizes sort of i mean obviously youtube is a huge corporate giant now but still you have the ability to be seen whereas in the past 20 some years ago you had to go to a film festival to have anyone watch your stuff now you can just put it online totally what's the best part about being a manager and producer you
1: know there's nothing like big wins with a client mm-hmm. um with a lot of our clients we're heavily embedded from the early days. Um, and when you cross a big threshold or achieve something together that, um, felt really far out of reach, uh, that's always really exciting. Um, also building something from scratch, I think is very, very rewarding. Um, when a client comes to you with just an extremely nascent idea, um, you work on that for months, you get it to a point where it's ready to, you know, take flight and get out there. And then several months later, you have something that's real, that's either in production or sold or cast or whatever it is. Um, That's always rewarding. But um, I think creating a route for a client that wasn't there before um, is something I have a lot of fun doing. And it doesn't really get old.
0: And what is the worst part about your job?
1: (laughs) I think in general, in our business, um, People are ruthlessly fucked pretty frequently, and I (laughs) don't think it's even looked down on. It's just like (laughs) how our business is.
0: Uh So
1: that can be disappointing, you know? I think, like, we've worked in situations where there are friends working together, and one of the friends fucks over the other friend or something like that. That's, you know, never great, but I think it's just part of it, you know? And it always will be.
0: What gets you up in the morning?
1: Uh, my first round of emails starts at usually six thirty or seven, Ouch. so I need to be up in time for my brain to be functioning enough to write um, well thought out emails at that time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not an exciting answer, but no, no. On.
0: Hey, you got to get up. You got to do business. That's uh, it's part of, of of your job, right? So,
1: and also, look, you know, there's so much it's funny people talk a lot more about these days as well, but there's so much opportunity out there right now. Mm -hmm. And there are so many opportunities for us and for our clients that didn't exist before. So I just think in general, in a global sense, the world is much more open and it really benefits creators and it benefits us.
0: Right. What are you watching now?
1: Right now? Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm watching a lot of short form doc on YouTube.
0: Oh, okay. Like what? Anything good?
1: Uh, Nothing that I could strongly recommend. Um, Recently, I got drawn into um, a channel about a tow truck company based in Dallas, Um, and it's the strangest YouTube channel, but uh, this channel was highly favored by the algorithm, was recommended to me. Um, I don't have any interest in um, (laughs) towing or tow trucks or like traffic court or anything like that. Uh, But somebody who works at a private company with a parking lot that is constantly towing cars figured out a way through their surveillance cameras to make these things into quick little narratives. And uh, it's incredibly engaging. It's hilarious. And they're well done little kind of short stories. Um, Strange recommend, but that's drawn me in recently.
0: That's actually kind of interesting. Um, What's the best thing you've read recently?
1: Uh, The best thing I've read was probably listened to in all honesty, but there's a podcast series called hardcore History okay. and they did a the guy Dan Carlin did a series on um, Japan called the supernova in the east it's probably like six to eight hours all in, so
0: wow. you
1: know it takes a while to get through but fantastic storytelling from my understanding uh Dan Carlin is A history professor who tries to triangulate um, the grit, real, truthful history from multiple sources and biographies and different accounts from historians in different countries all over the world. So the approach to um, retelling of history is very different from what we learn in school um, and what you're taught in textbooks, and it's completely fascinating and really engaging. Highly recommend that.
0: And where do you listen to your podcasts? Like when you're working out or when you're commuting?
1: Yeah, where- workout, driving, all that stuff. All the little, uh, you know, periods where you can have your AirPods in and not be bothered.
0: And where do you spend your time when you're not commuting to a business meeting or sitting behind your desk or sitting somewhere reading a script? Where do you spend your free time? If you have if you have free time.
1: I have some free time. I mean, for me, I think... Um, We should all be outdoors more. Mm. So, very dedicated to that. Um, I'm a major fan of the mobile office. You know, we have to be, again, it's this whole thing of like we're an analog phone call meeting in person business. So, there are a lot of days where you're in meetings all day or you're in the office all day. But for me, I think if you can uh, be outside, whether you're in front of a screen or not, but you can be not under a roof in sunshine. I'm always for that. I do that as much as I possibly can. I oh. think we should all do more of it.
0: Yeah, I agree. That's great. Yeah, no, absolutely. On the flip side, what is your hotspot? In other words, where is your favorite place to go in LA? Like, not necessarily... I guess it could be outdoorsy if you if that's your thing or, you know, restaurant for your favorite place you like to get drinks, coffee, whatever. What's your favorite hotspot in LA? This is not anything like fancy or anything but um grand
1: central market downtown is incredible yeah it's good people watching but you can uh you know head down there and have access to however many cuisines during the middle of the day on a weekend day and i fucking love it there it's also it doesn't there's not a lot of uh you won't find a lot of pretense at grand central market which i appreciate
0: yeah no i mean i think that's it's a fantastic place if if listeners out there have never been there. It, it doesn't it feels like LA because the people are definitely LA and it's obviously down you know, downtown LA, but it feels like a, a different generation almost. And I know a lot of downtowns have them. Like you can go to downtown Philadelphia or, you know, Seattle and they have something similar. But I lived in LA most of my life and only probably in the past five or six years knew about, you know, the Grand Central Market.
1: Totally. Yeah. It's like a part of LA that we don't really have anywhere else. I completely agree with that.
0: And if you had to describe your philosophy on breaking a new writer, what would that entail? I think that it's a team effort
1: um, 100% of the time. Mm -hmm. So we're embedded and committed to our clients from an early stage. If it's somebody who we've decided to work with, um, they should be committed to us and committed to the process as well. And jobs come about um, so many different ways. Sometimes it's an opportunity that um we pluck out of the blue and present on a platter to a client sometimes it's something that you know the client had a pre-existing relationship and we we're able to um activate that and fire it up and make it something real but team effort and shared goals is totally essential um and I think it's important that people are on the same page they can communicate well and they're after the same thing and I think if that is the case um there's a much higher probability of success
0: and lastly what's the the best advice you can think of to give emerging writers out there like if you could just give one piece of advice to those writers listening what would it be be
1: hard on yourself Mm. um and be hard on your material because everyone on my side of it not not just representatives but the entire buying community is going to be that way so i think um the more you can focus on that on your own um, and also just group source critique that's something that almost all of our clients do um definitely in the early stages but throughout every stage and i think that's incredibly helpful for people to do absolutely that's good advice.
0: thanks for coming back on mike we're gonna to have to have you back on before another couple of years <laughs>
1: <laughs> thanks it's for up. having me i could talk about this stuff all day hopefully i didn't drone on always great talking to you and i appreciate you having me
0: and if you have any questions about the craft or business of writing, you can send us an email to ask at scriptsandscribes.com or send us a tweet to scriptscribes. Thank you all for listening.